The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Can I eat this roast beef? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Episode of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I am Large William, across from the border from me, en route to the Sammy compound is the one and only Sammy. Yep. On my way home to the dojo. I was going to say dojo actually, because a uh, piece of trivia. I think you had toyed with ideas for naming your own show before we did a show, and it was going to be, I think, the Samurai Dojo or Cinematic Dojo. Yeah, yeah Cinematic Dojo, something like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. And mine was going to be the cinematic soul glow. So it's uh, <laughs> serendipity we, there. We were destined. Yes, we were destined to be together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so here we are. It's episode 171. Uh, this is our last standard episode, as it were, for the next few weeks, where we review two films, as we've been known to do with our format. Uh, because next week, we're going to be getting into our year-end best-of show, and then the week after, we'll be a feedback show with one film. So uh, to jump back to this episode for a minute, it is episode 171, as we said, and we got two sleaze fests to talk about this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this is episode one sleazy one. Yes, exactly. Seven, the S in seven is for sleazy, not seven, certainly. <laughs> yeah. uh, we both brought it from far-flung uh, areas of the earth. Uh, I decided to go to Hong Kong and whip out some Shaw Brothers sleaze with uh, Bamboo House of Dolls and Sammy kept it in Italy uh, with Terror Express, which is a, for some reason I thought it was a giallo, but it's kind of more of a, I don't know, I guess a, like a, I guess a thriller, a sleazy. I think they compared it, they compared it to be like, it is very similar to like Last House on the Left slash. Night Train Murders. Yeah, slash I Spit on Your Grave a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where it's at, you know. It's a very underseen film, it should be said. Yeah, it is very underseen, 1979. Um, so we'll get to that, I guess, as we when we um, when we talk about the films. But uh, without further ado, we're still in the throes of cram. There's not much cram left, so very curious to see what you've been watching. Yeah, I got about uh, three or four more I want to try to cram in. Since, since we don't have to watch any shows for our uh, movies for the show next week, I feel like I got like a buffer, so I can get like three or four in this week coming. So I got like three or four more left. Take Shelter comes out on uh, Blu-ray this week, so I'm going to look forward to that. And nice. Everything else so, but uh, I did get in a couple more. I got in uh, uh, the Lincoln Lawyer, which I finished off last night. I didn't uh, miso it or anything, but I did finish it off last night. It's a, it's a really good uh, you know lawyer thriller type movie. It's probably not going to be on my top thirty, but it is very solid. I really like Matthew McConaughey in it because when he, when he's on, he's on. You know, he's he's good, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he plays these lawyers really well. I mean, for some strange reason, he just reeks of lawyer. It's like it's like the total opposite of who the dude really is. <laughs> yes. 
but he, he really handles the lawyer role pretty well. But this has got, if, if you ever get a chance, just look at the cast of The Lincoln Lawyer. It is insane, the people that are in this movie. I mean, you got like Michael Pere in it, you got uh, John Leguizamo, you got William H. Macy, Marissa Tomei, Matthew McConaughey. Oh, wow, that's a great cast. On. Yeah, I mean, and it's just like, it's like heavy hitter after heavy hitter. Brian Cranston's in it. Uh, wow. What's his name? Josh Lucas, the 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 kind of poor man's Matthew McConaughey. That's right, man. Ironically, those two in the, in the film together, yeah. Yeah, they got scenes together, and it's like this weird, almost like doppelganger film in a way. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's, it's a good, solid film. Uh, I think it's perfectly uh, feasible for what it is, and uh, I did enjoy it. I'd probably give it like a, since it won't be in my top 30, I'd probably give it a strong like seven, seven and a half, somewhere in there. Yeah, I hear you, man. That that sounds like what I was thinking you were going to say, which means it's probably good um, good Hollywood stuff, good fodder to watch with the wife. Yeah, no, and pretty solid filmmaking from this filmmaker, Jonathan Levine. Pretty pretty good film. Anyway, other than that, I watched Fifty uh, Fifty, the Seth Rogen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt film. Um, I really liked Fifty Fifty a lot. It was really good. Uh, I was not pleasantly surprised because I'd heard good things, but uh, you know how I am about Rogen. Mm-hmm. Um back and forth about him stuff but i really really liked him in this movie and this is really a very good film about friendship and what it means and uh, not so much disease which you know it is it has been quoted as the cancer comedy but uh it really is a very touching story and uh there's some father son stuff in this that'll fucking destroy you oh wow so i don't know if you've seen i don't think you've seen it. i think you thought no. you, you were gonna watch it but uh, i wanted to cram it but it's kind of so i should see it before next week then uh, I don't know. I mean, it kind of depends on what kind of mood you're in. If you can, I would. Okay. Yeah. But uh, that's about it. That's all I watched. I've been some some movies that had some questionable taste and a lot of breasts. Nice, very nice. Uh, but not but not questionable breasts. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> if you like uh, fried eggs, if you like watermelons, there's a little something for everyone. Oh yeah, yeah. We had all varieties this week. We did. Um, <laughs> My week, of course, more cram. Uh, I did one that I kind of had, I was cautiously optimistic for, uh, win-win with Paul Giamatti. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think, uh, is it Amy Adams? No, not Amy Adams. Uh, Amy, who's it Amy Adams? The blonde woman. Um, oh, God. Uh, Amy, Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan, maybe? No, no. Amy Ryan? Is she the older one or is Amy? Which one was in doubt, Amy Ryan or Amy Adams? Well, I don't know. I, don't, I never saw doubt. With Philip Seymour Hoffman. Anyway, Win Win's a good film, man. It's um, I, I was gonna say it's it's Alexander Payne, but it's not. It's um, oh boy, it's McCarthy. He did The Station Agent, I think, which is actually a really great film with, uh, of course, the mighty Peter Dinklage. Um, I liked it. Yeah, he, he definitely has a, a style because he did The Station Agent. He did that film from last year, I think, called The Visitor, and now he's done this film. And they all seem to have the same kind of tone in some ways. Yeah, they do. Um. This is definitely a good film, good ensemble. Um, a guy I really like that he's used a few times to great effect, Bobby Cannavale, who yeah. he used really well in The Station Agent, actually. He's really good in this. It's, it's a great film. And Giamatti, I think, is one of the best actors of our time that we don't really talk about that much. And I think we all know he's good, but because he's so kind of everyman, oh, yeah. we talk about the, the heavyweights. He's a great, great fucking actor. But it's a good film. It may show up. It may not. It's not top ten material, I can tell you that. Um... Next top up, thirty, top thirty, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. It's, it's well worth everyone's time, though. Regardless, it is a good film and it is heartfelt. It is one of the four I'm going to try to cram in this week. Okay, good. No, it's it's worth your time for sure. Um, it, but it, yeah, to me, it would be in the sort of lower half of my list if I was going to make it. But still, hey, I mean, considering the amount of films we watch, that that's still high praise. Um, next up, I watched Puncture, which was strictly on the recommendation of our 
Lion Tamer, Aaron. Um, this has Chris Evans. It's um, basically a David versus Goliath legal story about a true story about um, two young lawyers who were basically um, ambulance chasers, for back, lack of a better word. They, they worked with that sort of, sort of cases. And one of them was a heroin addict, a real drug addict, and they took on the case of um, a nurse who had been punctured with a needle in an emergency room and had contracted HIV. They had found out that her friend had, had invented the retract. This actually would be interesting for you to watch for personal reasons. Uh, not because you have HIV, of course, but uh, but you know, you know you know what I'm getting at without getting into your personal life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because it deals with the <laughs> we're dealing with the medical profession and so forth. But um, anyway, so her friend invents a retractable needle, and it basically gets stonewalled by all the American hospitals, and it's them <laughs> trying to get it into the hospital. So it's a really good. Right, right. It's a good film. It's not going to make my top thirty, but it is a good film, and it's it's um, their heart. The people's people who made this film, their heart was in the right place. Okay. So I'll yeah, say and we should and we should say we're not, we're not making light of HIV. We're just having no. fun with each other there. Yeah, oh, certainly not. Certainly not. Yeah. And it's funny because so, uh, two weeks in a row, first last week you, you rapped about strokes being no joke, and then uh, I make light of this apparently. So, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but no, there, there's there's context there. It's just a personal yeah. thing. I mean, it's yeah. not any, regarding any STDs. Um, <laughs> yet. <laughs> yet. Uh, <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't done GGTMC from Thailand yet. So. Well, yeah. Yes. We still have a couple more rounds to go. Yes, exactly. Then <laughs> <laughs> um, a few more crams for. Um, um, the Mondo Film Show, which I'm finally going to be doing this Sunday. I did oh, nice. a couple more Jerry Lewis. I did The Aaron Boy, which was really good. And The Big Mouth, which um, I won't say too much about. You'll hear me talk about it on the show. Uh, and then I got back to Cram. Uh, I did Miss Bala, which is a Mexican film about a Mexican girl, early 20s, wants to be a beauty queen amidst the the absolutely ravaged um, country by way of this sort of drug trade. Now it's just it's just crushed everything in the country yep good film wasn't as good as i was hoping it would be but uh, still a good film uh you may hear about it uh next up was one that i'd heard mixed things about i was i was pretty keen to see it but uh finally got around to it that's rampart the uh woody harrelson corrupt cop film oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah it's a good film man I, I really dug it it's um i think that oren mulverman the director he changes styles and techniques and, and camera angles and camera shots and oversaturates some scenes and bleaches out some scenes way too much to the point of distraction. Okay. Uh, and it, it kind of detracts a bit from the film, but but Harrelson's fantastic in it. Um, Anne Hesh is great in it, and I will say this. i got to give it up on the air before I forget in case it doesn't come up on my year end because there is a chance it will. Ben Foster was excellent in it. Oh, wow. There you go. I did you not got, recognize you- him. You guys heard it here first. It's 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 one of those things, man, where you think that you know you're not gonna, ever going to like an actor, but then every now and then they'll turn on you, and you'll just be like, you know what, you know that that shows me that they can actually do something. Yeah, I got to give it up. I didn't recognize him until midway through the film, even though I saw his name in the credits. I kind of forgot about it. And then there was that moment when I had a close up. I was like, holy fuck, that's Ben Foster. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I, oh, I got to give it up, man. Good performance. Well, I, you know, my biggest problem with Ben Foster is I don't really dislike him as much as you. But my biggest problem with him is he did too many things that were Ben Foster in a row. Yes, like a wide-eyed kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Too much of that, and it kind of hurt him a little bit. But I know, I know, there's a good actor in there somewhere. Yeah, so definitely, I would, I would say everyone should check that out. Harrelson's fantastic in the film. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Yeah, he's really good, man. It's it's a really good film. Um, Bamba Hosa Dolls, Terror Express. We'll be talking about it on this week's show, and then I did two Norwegian films, man. Um, 
Christopher Cram, I did Headhunters. Okay. Which is an interesting film. Of course, it's already been picked up for remake. It uh, is about an art dealer, excuse me, um, an art thief slash he- corporate headhunter who tries to take a Rubens painting from the wrong man. Okay. And it, if you like, I saw the devil in terms of um, perfectly like executed, glossy action and brutal violence. This is a film mm-hmm. for you. Oh, nice. Sounds it, interesting. It, it's a pretty good film, man. It's uh, It really reminded me of Vice of the Devil with some of these really well-choreographed set pieces that have high production values. These, these, these crams are, are both nice and both awful because I, I might start out the show saying I got three or four more I want to watch, but by the time you get done talking, it turns mm. into like five or six. And then, you know, I got to roll the dice, right? I just going to have to roll the dice and go with my gut and watch what I can. Yeah. No, I, well, it's one of those things that, you know, like 50-50, I planned on watching, then I gave up on it, and now I'm kind of re- rekindled with it, so we'll see. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I did A Somewhat Gentleman, which uh, I get to see more of Stellan Skarsgård's dick and ass than I ever wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what I've heard, I've, heard about, I've heard that about the film. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also a really fantastic film. Um, it, it sort of has a kitchen sinky aesthetic, again, very blue-collar. He's a guy that gets out of prison after 12 years, and... You know, he uh, trying to integrate into society, and it's got some kind of dry wit absurdity to it. Um, he's really good in it. Some of the supporting players are really good in it. Uh, I don't know if it's top thirty. It might be, man. There was moments when I felt like, okay, this is this is going to crack the list, and then it kind of go a different way, and not slip up necessarily, but just wasn't what I was looking for in a sort of a top thirty film. But still, very much worth everyone's time. So we'll see. Right, and that's it. Okay, nice. Another good week for you, man. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, I think I'm averaging roughly nowadays. It seems like somewhere between four to six films a week is about all I can do. Yeah, it's tough. I know I'm going to do the Toynbee Tiles or Resurrect Dead, the Toynbee Tiles documentary. Oh yeah, which, which Higgins just you know masturbates about pretty regularly. So yeah, but you got to watch that guy. He masturbates every time Brian Blessed's on screen too. Yes. So you know. Yes, exactly. exactly. Or maybe not him, but Roy Winston. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ray Winston, that boy. I don't know who the fuck Roy Winston is. Nor do I. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I do about six to eight. You know. yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it is what it is. I mean, there'll be a time when I can watch as many as I want again someday. Oh, mine's strictly through work. I, at home, if it was just home stuff, it would be about th- three or four a week if I was lucky. Yeah, that was the sacrifice I had to make by changing shifts was the uh, the movie watching. Yeah. Hey, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. We're so prone to say. We're so prone to say kitchen sink uh, drama and is what it is. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it was a good film, not great. Okay. <laughs> that's another one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but that's the way it goes. Um, <laughs> oh, I just about threw up on my exercise ball. Wow. Oh, <laughs> that, sounds, that yeah. sounds darkly erotic. That wouldn't have been good or great. It would have been quite <laughs> yeah. the fucking opposite. Um, <laughs> that hot coffee. I shouldn't drink coffee laying on my stomach over an exercise ball. Bow. Yeah. Bad news bears. Now, most people, most shows try to podcast, uh, you know, at their desk with a microphone. Not us. We like to do exercise balls and Ford F one fifties. Absolutely, man. Um, <clears throat> so that's it. Why don't we take a break? Uh, I'm going to swallow. I'm not, I, yeah, I was going to swallow my vomit. That sounded gross. I don't. I didn't vomit in my mouth. Uh, I don't believe in swallowing that. If it comes up, it's coming out. Um, let me get off this tangent and take a break. We'll be right back. What 
What's up, kiddies? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the only show crazy enough to tackle the Brian Bosworth classic Stone Cold. Time to get into a film of my choosing. Uh, that film, of course, is Bamboo House of Dolls from the Shaw Brothers, or of course, Nu Ji Zhong Ying, 1973, uh, directed by one of the Shaw Brothers' best sleaze mavens, or just kind of bizarre what the fuck mavens, uh, Chi Hong Kui, who did Killer Snakes. He did the Hex trilogy, which I'm a pretty big fan of. Um, he did a film I've not seen, but I'm sure. You know, between Jay and Chris and Jacob and stuff they've seen, and uh, Josh, this Corpse Mania. <laughs> so I've heard, I've heard of it, but I've never seen the film. No. Yeah, no. He he, he didn't do Boxer's Omen, did he? That was somebody else, right? Yeah, no. I'm gonna look like a chump because I don't remember who did Boxer's Omen. Uh, uh, I can't remember either. But his name doesn't ring a bell when it comes to Boxer's Omen, so I'm probably not right anyway. I can't remember. It's a again another guy that did a lot of that that kind of. Uh, stuff. I'm gonna look it up right now because I feel like an idiot. Oh, man, I can't remember. Um, Chi Hung Kwai. That's how you say his name, right? Chi Hung Kwai. Yep. Okay, good. Yep. Boxer's Omen is Chi Hung Kwai. Oh, you were right. Look at that. Yeah. So, I, thought, I thought I might be, and of course, once you know this guy's work, <laughs> it's well. That's just it. It's very comparable. I mean, it, his work, like I said, you know, between Killer Snakes and the Hex and all that, it, it fits into that wheelhouse. Yep. So hey, look, at, look at me pulling one from left field, man. No IMDb to be told. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. So, yeah, why don't, uh, why don't I synopsize this? I've seen right. it before. I don't think you'd seen this one before, have you? Uh, yeah, I'd actually seen this one before. But I actually saw this uh, not too long uh, not too long before we started the show, actually. I saw this a little bit before we started the show. Oh, nice. Okay. I was recommended to it uh, for somebody in the Cinema Diabolica community, and I can't remember who it was. So Excellent. Got a great title for a, an Asian women in prison film. And it should be said, yeah. this is our CD pick. We haven't had a CD pick in a while. so. Yep, CDB. Yes. Um, so, yeah, uh, a nurse in a Japanese women's POW camp during World War II masterminds an escape. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. That is. And her name is Berta. Yeah. <laughs> Bertitove. And... <laughs> There's a lot of uh, Lo Lee, of course, legendary uh, Shaw mm-hmm. Brothers actor, legendary martial artist, um, who did a lot of kind of charactery stuff later on in the in the Shaw Brothers for the Shaw Brothers. So, uh, Si Wang, Terry Liu, there's a lot, some other Dutch treats or not Dutch treats, Danish Danish treats in here too. Um, I love a good Danish. Yes, the I was doing the uh, the. Uh, the uh, I'd say Lo Lee is probably the most recognizable name in the film. Oh probably. yeah, definitely, man. He's an icon. Yeah, so that's definitely the one you're most. Aware. You know, this is from uh, the golden year of 1973. So another one. I don't know how many films we've covered from 73. I think that seems to be the year. 73 and 79 this year, both years we were around the years we were born. Were you born 
79, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we do 73 and 79 again this year, this week, this week I mean. Oh, look so at that. That's right, man. I didn't even yeah. realize that. That's funny. Yeah. So one huh. film's as old as me, and one film's as old as you. Yeah, and both are sleazy, They're as sleazy as neither of us. Yeah. We're sleazy. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, he's pretty sleazy. <laughs> I don't know about that. You should have saw me in the first days of the internet. Yeah. Anyway. You and me both, man. I can wait on. I can wait for hours for some dirty pictures for the 56K, brother. 56K, the dial-up. I waited patiently. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a whole new meaning to masturbation. Anyway, um, <laughs> first thing we should say about this film is, uh, and I'll go ahead and take the lead on this one since you kind of synopsized, and I'll let you take the lead on the next one. Uh, but this film has like one of these really just kind of great openings that you know you could just take that opening and show it like over and over and over again at a party, and people would just love it over and over and over again. And it's so weird. It's both sleazy and disturbing, and <laughs> and kind of funny in a weird way. And I don't know if that's just because of the, you know, it's easy to laugh at kind of, you know, the way people overact in these films sometimes and everything else. But there's moments in this. I mean, there's children in peril. There's people have at, at some point, you know, people are just getting shot like crazy and breasts are falling out all over the place. I mean, it's just one of these nutso openings. that's like pure cinematic genius in, in, in its own way. Yes. Uh, there's really no other way to describe it. I mean, this it's just bonkers. It is bonkers, which is um, what, of course... Uh, Quay does best is bonkers. He's a bonkers um, was a bonkers merchant, I guess. Yeah, that's a good one. A bonkers merchant. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely up there with like these kind of really kind of strange directors who just have this really unique vision. You know, his films. I mean, if you've seen Boxer's Omen and some other stuff that, that he's done, I mean, you know, this guy's kind of unique, and, and oh, yeah. it, that has to come from him a little bit. It can't just come from like a script. Or like you know, you know, Run Run Shaw or something that has to come from him a little bit too. So. Yeah, when you see the pattern over and over, you know. It's, yeah. yeah we we uh, we established in this film very quickly that the warden is a bitch because you know she makes a blind woman lick her boots clean. Yeah, I, mean, I there's there's lesbian boot looking boot licking in the first six minutes, and for some reason I thought of Zom. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. I also thought of him when I saw one close up, a great shot of a uh, focus pull on a meaty nipple. Oh God, that was yeah, and it was very meaty. <laughs> that was an amazing, an amazing shot, though. I mean, like artistically, that was a beautiful shot. <laughs> yeah, it was. There was there is some nice shots in this film, actually. Yeah, no, the film looks great, considering what it is and everything. It, uh, you know, it sounds sleazy, but I kind of like the, what I like about these films. What I've always liked about women in prison films, it isn't the lesbianism. That's always a a trait that's got to be there, mm-hmm. and the especially the kind of aggressive lesbianism that's kind of mixed oh, with yeah. the essence and all that stuff. That's all part of the thing and everything. But what I always like about these films is I like the the attire that the women have to wear in prison. I like these shirt skirt type things. Well, in this, they wear like a, a denim shirt skirt. Yeah. Yeah. And what I like about those, and this one's even great because they're outside a lot, that, you know, the wind's blowing all the time. So there's always this danger that their shirts, because the stuff's just going to fly up, right? Well, yeah, I, that's one of my notes that when they're working outside, which usually results in either a, somehow a cat fight or a mud fight and cat and cat fight and whatnot. But there's just a slight breeze, enough for, for every man watching the film, if no one's around, to slightly crane his neck down to see if he can get a glimpse. Yeah, yeah. Now, this film, we, we talked about it being sleazy. These films are sleazy. The girls are very attractive. Uh, most of the girls in the film, I would say, are very, yeah, I'd say most of them are attractive. I'll, t- I'll uh, tell you this, though. I'll take the women in, in Terror Express every day of the week, though. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. If you, if you had to compare the, oh. the the women in each film, 
actually, we'll, we'll probably compare the sleaze quotient to some degree, too, because yeah. actually, in some ways, I thought Terror Express was a more sleazy movie. I do. I do think it's sleazier. Absolutely, it's sleazier. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. You know, it's coming from Baldy and uh, and uh, George Eastman wrote the script, and it's just a seriously sleazy-ass oh, movie. Oh, God, is it ever. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about some of that here in a little while, because there's some choices some characters make, especially one involving a nightgown that's just disturbing. Uh-huh. It's so sleazy, man. <laughs> it is one of the sleaziest things we've ever seen on this show. I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Uh, anyway, uh, what what the the women in this film, they're all pretty try. I think the girl that plays the blind girl, bless her heart, she, she's not really my type. She's very skinny, and her knees are kind of, they kind of point inward and stuff. I guess we call it uh, knock knee. Knock yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you, know, that, that, you know, that doesn't really go very far with me, uh, yeah, but... You know- yeah, sorry, I can't miss the opportunity for this joke. She may be knock need, but I'd still show her the knock worst. Yeah. <laughs> the, but all the girls are saying, even the, in the warden, even she's attractive. The warden's you know? a hot piece, man. Yeah, she breaks out the. At one point in this film, we get some brief glimpses of a what has to be a stone dildo, I think. I think so. Which which can't, you know, which can't feel good. And that's when I thought of Zom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as you can see, whenever we watch sleazy films, we think about our good friend Doctor Zom. Yes. Um, but you know, this film does have all the women's prison trappings. It has uh, your lesbian sexual torture. There's escape degradation. attempt. Yeah, degradation, uh, electrocution, which I didn't see that yes. one coming. Nor did I, but that is a trope, certainly of the genre. I also have to admit that the women that are just kind of pulled out of random out of general population to whip a girl that's escaped—they can really use that whip. Yeah, they were working that whip, man. Of course, the whip, yeah, and the boots. Yeah, like you said, the the S&M uh, aesthetic is certainly strong in this because, you know, and it's weird because it seems like, you know, I think both of us like the genre, but it's weird that the two we've done so far have been Shaw Brothers. We uh-huh, did yeah. Virgins of the Seven Sea. Oh, no, three. We did the, we did um, Female Prisoner, too, but they all yeah. been, they've all been Asian women in prison films. Well, I think one of the reasons for that is strictly just because the other, and I'm sure we'll get to them at some point, but. We kind of talked about this, and I guess we'll let our listeners know that maybe if you're new to the show and you haven't listened to our back catalog, Will and I kind of made a conscious choice not to cover, like, the quote-unquote genre The Jack genre and... Yeah, in the beginning to kind of give us some breathing room because, you know, we got some really good friends and other shows that, that have done these films, and, you know, we don't want to copy them. I mean, we don't want to do them. It's not copying, but we're going to do the films probably eventually, but mm-hmm. it's just a matter of kind of giving us some breathing room so we can give a fresh take on it and stuff. So, now, you know, because everybody listens to a lot of podcasts, if we all cover the same things over and over and over again, it's just going to become, you know, kind of boring, or you're just going to pick and choose which ones you want to listen to. So we just kind of held off on purpose. So we've held off on like the big birdcage and the big oh, ball switchblade sisters and you know, Lady yeah. Snowblood, Lone Wolf and Cub, which I'm, which thankfully we both got around to covering a little bit with Jake. But there's a lot of iconic films that we kind of held off on for yeah you know, for that reason. So we've held off on them for quite some time for those reasons. But you know, give us time. You know, we're bound to get to some of that stuff eventually. I know there's some that we're definitely going to get to sooner rather than later. But anyway, um, but yeah, this does have all of those kind of trappings of the film. Now, it should be said, I think I have some issues with this film. This film, the quality of this film to me, not the actual picture itself because the film looks good, but the quality of this film to me, it's sleazy, but it, it, it sometimes it jumps all over the place for me. I don't know what it was, but sometimes it would kind of distract me. Like, like the scene, like the standard scene in these films is women bathing together, right? Yep. And so we get a scene of women bathing together here. But for some strange reason, for me, this this one wasn't. Usually, those scenes are pretty hot to me because mm-hmm. you know usually I get to see Pam Greer, yeah, or somebody that I really want to watch take a shower, you know. Yep. On this, this one, I had some issues. Like it's like they wanted to show a lot, 
but they would back off a little bit. They join Nipple instead. Yeah, and, and it's funny because when I got to the second, I watched these in, in this order. I watched Bamboo House of Dolls, and then I watched Terror Express. Me too. By the time I got to Terror Express, I thought, well, you know, this film's not going to be as sleazy as Bamboo House. There's no way. And boy, was I wrong. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was wrong. But Terror Express has everything in it but penetration. <laughs> yeah, and, and even that's questionable because it there, there was probably penetration that was just not quite shown. Yeah. It goes pretty far. It was pretty surprising, but... This film, in a lot of ways, the nudity's kind of tame. It, 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 well, I mean, I say it's tame, but I say it's tame Relatively for like a, a viewer like me. Somebody who watches, yeah, somebody that watches a lot of these B-grade sleazy movies from China, from America, whatever. It's relatively tame, really. I mean, the, the, even the stone dildo scene, you only really just kind of barely glimpse the dildo. Mm-hmm. They make sure not to like show the full-on dildo. You know, it, it's not even as sleazy as I would say like a, uh, like a Hanzo the Razor film. Those are sleazier than this film in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would say so, too. Uh, and it's funny because I'd seen this before and I thought, man, this is really sleazy. But at the same time, it's not quite the sleaze fest I remembered it being the first time I saw it. And I don't know if that says something about the films we watch, <laughs> which I think it does. I think part and, of it is too. Hong Kong, sorry to cut you off, has a bit of a an irreverence and almost like a naive energy to it. Like they, they, those films can be very sleazy, but because they're also goofy at times, it it softens the sleaze a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I like the characters in this film. I mean, I like the warden. Uh, warden again, was fantastic. She, yeah, I thought she was hot, and I thought the, uh, the the soldiers were fun. They were this this bad enough. There's one who's quite despicable to the blind girl. He does a very something very awful with glass. Oh yeah. But uh, I really like that scene a lot, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, although you know it, it's very silly in some ways too. But it's it's one of those moments you know where you think you know stepping on glass that would really hurt, and you know so you see. The, that stuff and the girls are really nice i like the girl that actually enjoys the sex she was very hot oh yeah yeah the one that she was kind of it's not because she, she was the bigger chested girl she just kind of she just kind of grabbed my attention i don't think it was the, she wasn't the lead I, I don't remember which actress and i don't have imdb in front of me so i won't look like a cinematic genius today but uh i, I do want to say that all the girls asian and uh european and Dutch, european whatever you want to say yeah. yeah they were all very nice to look at and i think that's the key to these films being entertaining because I don't think you're go you go into a film like Bamboo House of Dolls looking for a political statement. I think you go into a film like Bamboo House of Dolls looking for uh, titillation and excitement. And I think the film delivers on that, but I do think it's pretty sloppily put together. It's not as consistent as as some other Shaw Brothers stuff. I would say not as consistent as some other uh, Quay films, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of. I've never seen Boxers Open. I've only seen bits and pieces. Oh of yeah, it, and that, it's it's that good. Yeah, that things that thing talk about off the wall, and then some yeah. of the other stuff I have seen, it's pretty off the wall too. So we should, I'm looking forward to checking out more of his stuff. We definitely. should do Boxers Open at some point because I like it, and I know you'll like it, and you know you'll like it. I think just based on what you've seen. So well, well Tim, Tim, uh, Ghetto Tim has been pushing us to cover Boxers Omen for I don't know, almost from the beginning of the show. So it's yep. It's one of those films that we've talked about covering for ages, and we've just never gotten around to it. So yeah. I'm sure I'm sure we'll get we'll probably get to it this year. I'm sure. I think one of the reasons you find this film sloppy is the fact that I think the runtime doesn't do it any favors. It's almost two hours long. Yeah, that that really hurts it because there are scenes in this film that are kind of polit not they're not they're not politically message based, but they're kind of political as to what there's the camp a, is. About. Yeah, there there's a national. And listen, they're setting this against the backdrop of the, the most horrific of atrocities that were committed against the Chinese, which right. was the rape of Nanking and Japan occupying China and so forth uh, during World War II, um, right. the, the, the Sino conflict or whatever. But um, 
you know, so you're, you're going to get some national pride there. You're going to get some some of that patriotic stuff, uh, certainly, in the films. But I just think 90 minutes is the golden number for these films. Yeah, it really is. Or even even more so, you could even argue that 80 minutes, like Terror Express is only 82, 82 minutes long. 82 minutes long, nice and tight, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah, and it really, <laughs> it really kind of keeps moving because it doesn't have time to do anything but move. That's right. I mean, it, I mean, really, it doesn't. It's it's a short, and that's not to say it's it's a masterpiece. We'll talk about it here in a little while, but mm-hmm. but I think for that type of movie and like this type of movie, I think they have to be short. I know it's kind of a as a kind of a amateur critic, it's an easy way out to say, hey, you know, this film should have been a lot shorter. You know, you could probably cut fifteen to twenty minutes out of this thing in some ways, and it would help it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this in this case, it's a totally true statement. I I would argue with anybody to tell me why some of the scenes of dialogue in here need to go on for sometimes 10 minutes. It's like, it, it's like, you know, there's, they're not really saying anything very interesting. No. And really what you want is more action and the action's good. It's just not, it's just not, I mean, I, I don't know if I expected Shaw brothers Kung Fu. I don't think I expected that, but when I first saw it and I don't, I mean, of course I didn't expect it the second time I saw it, but I did expect it to be pretty good. Now the sleaze part of it, I, I did expect the first time I saw it and this time, to be good, I just kind of got, you know, I think I had this a weird experience because I watched Horror, Horror Express. It's just another film. We yes. both want to keep calling it Horror Express <laughs> or Terror Train. But yeah. I think from watching Terror Express second, I think it really kind of took the sting out of Bamboo House of Dolls, if that makes any sense. No, I would agree. In retrospect, it would, certainly. Yeah, but I don't really have a whole lot more notes. I mean, I, I do think the film looks good. I think the film is very entertaining. I don't think it's quite the controversial uh cinematic totem pole that some people make it out to be it's not cannibal holocaust certainly but it is very sleazy in its own way but like i said i think the sleaze is has an air of innocence because of the goofy hong kong sensibility with some of their their genre stuff at the time yeah it's not like the 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 big uh the big birdhouse or or those films to me or even chained heat to me but but those films aren't sleazy either to me they have an almost no no yeah, you're right. You're right. They're Chains not sleazy at all. Yeah, you're right. You're right. No, I, I think it's it, with those films again. It, it's almost like when we talk about those slashers that have an innocence about them. Some of those early women in prison films, like the, especially the Jack Hill ones, have an air of innocence about them. They're fun. They're almost like Playboy, and you know, oh, they're yeah. not. You're not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to watch them. I mean, I watch Black Mama, White Mama with my wife, and you know, that's what I really what? want to do on the show, man. I don't think that one gets enough love. That's a, that's a, the people always talk about the Big Dollhouse and the Big Birdcage, but Black Mama, White Mama is I, to me might be better than either one of them. It might, it might be. I mean, I, I like that film a lot too. I mean, they're all up there. But I'm, I'm just saying, I like all of those films a lot. Mm-hmm. And Bamboo, for what the reputation Bamboo has, it's not that it, much worse. It, it's not that much. Well, it's not that much better either. It's, it's. Oh no, it no. Kind of, it kind of falls right in there. I mean, is it a top ten women in prison film? Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's a lower top ten. If oh that makes yeah, any sense. it's not a, the gold standard, certainly. Yeah. Because so, I think a lot of people are excited about us covering this, and I. I want to make sure I'm fair to it, you know, as a film fan. Mm-hmm. I do love the film, but I don't think it's as good as some other women in prison films that I've watched. No, that's true. That's true. But, all right, let's hear what you got to say about it. So, yeah, just to echo what you said, like, because the kind of film it is early on, we see bayonet stabbings, pimp slaps, and children getting shot within the opening five minutes. Yeah, it's really intense. I mean, I, again, I'll say the the opening is, is cinematic gold. Yeah, it's pretty relentless. Um you know what? Something I find a lot of times with that seems to really be like the vibe I get. A lot of the sleazy stuff in Hong Kong films and more Hong Kong than Japan, I guess, but mostly like a lot of the Asian exploitation, they seem a lot more grabby, gropey, peeping Tom sleazy at times than North American ones. 
Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me. I don't know if that's an Asian thing or something. I know that, you know, I know from being a connoisseur of uh, pornography sometimes that, uh, you know, they're into that public groping thing in, in Japan. Oh, there's a groper train, Black Pearl. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah, the, the groper train. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> the Zom train. <laughs> yeah, the Zom train. <laughs> Yes, it's kind of like our version of the Bang Bus, except not quite as graphic. Yes, exactly. Our, our Bang Bus is much more graphic, obviously. Yes, it certainly is. <laughs> um, uh, oh, we just—we probably just lost five listeners. <laughs> probably, probably. Um, you know what's interesting too? There's the women in prison films, but there's the other genre, which is the hybrid, which is like the women in war prison films, which you know. Um, with Elsa and so forth. But what's interesting about this one is it's not German occupation, it's Japanese. Yeah. yeah. Which you would have only seen in Asia, right? So, interesting. Um, but I think what I liked more in this film, though, is, and I think what it misses, I think the, it doesn't really have a good escape plan to it. It's it's no. good, but it's not it's not very exciting. It's not like The Great Escape or something like where there's a clearly defined plan for the game. It just almost feels like they probably wrote that portion of the script the day before they shot it. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It really does. Yeah, I love the lesbian whipping and the overtly lesbian warden with her lip licking. It's just fantastic. It's so just it's great for the genre. It's just really amusing. Yeah. She really is my favorite part of the film. She's really fun, um, but I like Loli a lot too. Because I do, I'll get another note later on about Berta Tov, who should be said as a softcore superstar from Denmark. Um, yes. I was going to say Daneland. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Loli in Army Greens and Aviators. So that's good. Yes. Um, yeah, that one girl, man, she gets whipped worse than uh, Nero did in that Spaghetti Western we covered, man. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. She that's got right. whipped. Was that, that massacre time? Yeah, the full yeah, That's right. Um, and, of course, the Japanese have the electric barbed wire fence. Yes, yes. We have never seen before. Yeah, with the uh, with the uh, the uh, tomato paste blood in the oh, hand. Yeah. The old school Italian gore blood. Yeah, man. Um, and then there's that one scene... Food fight, which turns into <laughs> cat fight. Yeah, yeah. Now, see, that's that's some of the, that's 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 a good example of this film in a nutshell. It's both sleazy, a little bit of comedy, and then a little bit of action, kind of all mixed into that one scene. And uh, it's kind of silly, but at the same time, it's it's kind of erotic, and at the same time, it's kind of fun. It's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like all those. It's like he's juggling all three balls in the air there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, that scene I like because when it starts to get really out of hand, there's girls, there's in, these inexplicable kind of barrels um, in the, the the mess hall, and they're they're bobbing their asses in there. They're bobbing for apples. There's yeah, cane, there's people being whipped with canes. There's these really, there's a really great sloppy pile driver. <laughs> I get the impression that the buckets are full of something hot. Is it soup? I don't know, man. <laughs> it didn't look like soup. Hot and it sour soup like... after they were bobbing in it, man. <laughs> it didn't look like soup. It looked more like like dirty dishwater. Ugh. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I, I remember I remember quite honestly there there being subtitles popping up when they fall in like Whoa! like it, you know like it's hot or something on their you know near bare ass. Oh it's yeah, because the one dunks her ass and to the soothe it or something and then she jumps out because it's hot. Yeah, yeah. So I think it might be some kind of soup. Yeah, uh, the one dude. Uh, speaking of hot and sour soup, the one dude before he's gonna slam. I can't believe I said slam. He's gonna he's gonna. Um, <laughs> He's gonna get it on with one of the uh, the European nurses. He does the worm like the breakdance movie. Does the worm on the floor in a sumo outfit? <laughs> Pretty incredible. Yeah, that's if they if you didn't know they were Japanese by the military outfits, you definitely knew by the time they stripped down to their skivvies, huh? Yeah, man. Um, yeah, the, uh, 
a sumo wrestler diaper on. Yeah, I what, what's, the, a, what's that thing called? Uh, I want to say a, a mawashi, but I don't think it is. I can't remember the name, to be honest. I know if I wear if I wear one, and I roll around the floor. After I'm done, I might need to mawashi my balls. Oh yeah, and I do, I might need to mawashi the floor. <laughs> um, well, it's good to know that we can be as sleazy as our content this week. Yes, and that's no small feat. Um, impressive. Speaking of sleaze, it's impressive how well groomed all these women were during high kicks, and this was the seventies. Yeah, yeah, it is impressive considering this film seventy three, and the next film we watched was seventy nine, and there was no grooming being done. No, no, it was very much a European sensibility. Um, I really love, and I think it goes too quickly. I really love the iconic gun in the mouth shot in this film. It, yeah, it there's it's there's a hand painted poster of that which I think Aaron posted on our Facebook group. I think that that poster, without um, hyperbole, is one of my favorite posters, exploitation posters. Something about that moment and the way it's captured with that gun in the mouth is degrading. It is terrifying. It's punishing. But I just wish they had have lasted in that moment longer. But they kind of get away from it very quickly. You know, you bring up a good point. I think the reason why this film has such the following it has... I think this film is a pop culture film in a lot of ways. I think the poster and the title and everything, I think, has made this film kind of stand out from, like, the... Uh, because what I always remember from this film is the poster, and, I, and, I, and or the posters. I've seen several that I love. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's some great posters. And, and the name is wonderfully evocative, Bamboo House of Dolls. It tells you that it's very much an Asian um, women in prison film. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, another thing that, that separates this film, though, that from a lot of Shaw Brothers films is I think a lot of Shaw Brothers films really aren't known for their stirring scores. There's no Morricone, Morricone of, of, of Hong Kong. But I really like the score in this film. It's fun. It's kind of funky and jazzy in spots. Not, it's not perfect, but there's moments when I thought, I'm really digging the score, man. It's, it's kind of good. It's very 70s, fuzzy, funky, and we even get some sexy sacks in this film. Yeah, yeah, we do. It is good. I didn't bring it up in my notes, but it is good. And you know what else is good is Lo Lee gets to make love in a room designed with 1,000 candles by Jodorowsky. While, <laughs> while speaking of Morricone, some spaghetti western music plays. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a cinematic convention. Uh, I, I'm sure I'm not the first person that's ever noticed this and stuff in movies, but I really, I really don't like the, the candles in a movie thing because it always takes me out because I always think, Okay, who who took the time to light all these candles? Who replaces these candles? I don't know. It just bothers me for some reason. It looks good. It looks good on film. It just, I don't know. Outside of a Catholic church in the middle of the Bronx, it just bothers me for some reason. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I thought there were some nicely colored flourishes where there, this, the, like this screen would be really like a purple gel on the lens or a red gel, and it really saturated it nicely during some moments of either yeah. pain or you know yeah. something like that. It worked really well. Again, sort of more of like a Japanese kind of influence. Um I thought Vertitov and uh, the rest of the European girls really weren't very charismatic. They weren't very spunky. And that's, I think, one of the things that separates them from Corman's girls um, is that a lot of the Corman girls, meaning all the Jack Hill girls and the Demi girls and so forth, um, they had pizzazz and were believable. Whereas in this yeah. one, I felt like only the two main Chinese actresses kind of sold it that they were spunky. Right. Yeah, I think you could argue that the... Uh the, the Corman women in prison films, the girls, there's almost like a political undertone of women. Uh, women's women, lib. Women, yeah, women's lib in there, mm-hmm. uh, which is not an original way of thinking when you look at those films, I know. But when you compare it to this one where the women are very, 
they just seem kind of downtrodden in, mm-hmm. in perspective to the Corman girls, uh, the yep. Demi girls, as you say. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, really fun truck chase with, with really, and this is saying something, potentially the worst driving in cinema history. I'm not lying. It's like all of the buildings <laughs> around this truck chase had magnets in them. <laughs> they destroy more buildings than an Australian car chase. I was waiting for Gator the Pimp to get out of one of those Jeeps. Gator, I, yeah, man. I, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, really nice. I really, I'd almost like to create a moving GIF of, there's a moment when the camera's mounted on the hood of the car, or the hood of the truck, when Loli's driving it with the two girls, or the three girls all crammed yep. into the, the truck, and they're yep. going over some bumps and stuff, and they're all kind of hanging on to the dash. I thought that stuff looked really good. Yeah. Uh, and then you get what I refer to as a, the triple X as in the Vin Diesel movie, the triple X-esque <laughs> ramp over the prison wall. Oh, yeah. Which is pretty Well, if you got to have a prison movie, I think ever since The Great Escape, if you got to have a prison movie, you got to have a scene where somebody's jumping over the wall. Yeah, you do. You do. You know. Um, with waterfall, you know, always, usually when, when they break out of prison, it's always then it becomes man versus nature. And yeah. There's there's these waterfalls and everything. This I almost expected Hal Holbrook and uh, Lawrence Dane to show up saying Harry Harry. <laughs> this pure what are you water. Doing, Harry? What are you doing, Harry? <laughs> uh, I like seeing Low Lee get to whip some ass in a stream using a saber. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. It's saber. I don't know. We don't, we, don't, we don't have a lot of saber in the GGTMC. No, historically, saber's not something we, we we have a lot of. No, so he we represented for the saber. Um, I'll tell you, man, Spielberg ripped off the snakes covering the gold from this film. Hey, uh, hang up, did you? Nope. Are right, you there? Yeah, I'm on. Hello. Hey, can you hear right. me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Yep. But I was just saying, uh, Spielberg ripped off the snakes covering the gold from this film. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think the $64,000 question is, where exactly did the traitor in the, in the girls keep that, that Saturday Night Special gun hidden? There's only one place <laughs> you could have hid it from everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I think... When everybody uh, makes fun of the Machete movie, with, at the beginning, there's a crazy scene where somebody had something internally. Uh, I think that's Robert Rodriguez kind of commenting on all that because, you know, there's a lot of those movies from the 70s where you're like, where, where the hell was that girl hiding that? Yeah. And, you know, Rodriguez is saying, well, obviously the only place she could have been hiding it, we all think it. So, yep. you know, so for him, he went that one step further and actually made it, I think, uh, whatever that object was, I think he made it wet. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's a great dummy death by oil drum in the in this. Oh yeah, very nice. And I forgot, to, I forgot to write that down. I can't believe I forgot to write that down. It was really fantastic. And then it got to the point where everyone was rolling down the hill, <laughs> yeah. which was funny. And I got to say, man, if you've never seen this film, the ending, what happens at the end, will probably be a surprise because it flies in the yes. face of, of of the genre and its conventions. Yes, it probably will be a surprise. So. That's uh, that's it, man. Those if you've seen it, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so I, hopefully there's not a bad, bad delay because I feel like there might be a little bit of a delay. Um, I don't know. I don't think there is. Hopefully there's not. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, so uh, okay, my uh, make or break. I got to go with the opening, although I do like the ending quite a bit too. Uh, so it's got really nice bookends. It should be said. It, uh, some of the stuff in the middle I had some issues with uh, again on a revisit. But I still, I still do like the opening, and I like the end, and I like some of the action in between, and some of the sleaze in between. It, it's good. 
my MVT, I got to go with the warden. I can't remember the actress's name. I didn't write it down, unfortunately. Shame on me. But uh, if you know, if you have it in front of you, that's uh, great. But. I might or might not. I'm on the floor with this exercise ball. <laughs> uh, oh, there's a guy who's credited as bald mustache Japanese soldier, uh, tortured inmate. You know, Mako was it? No, not Mako. I don't know. Uh, you got well, we'll just, you know, if anybody's seen it, you know who we're talking about. If anybody hasn't seen it, so. But uh, my score for the film, I give it a 7 out of 10. I think it's a really good, fun film. I don't think it's a great film, and I don't think it's the greatest of this genre, but I do think it's a, a good, solid, kind of fun mix mm-hmm. on uh, Shaw Brothers stuff. And, uh, you know, it's good. It's a good romp. It is, yeah. It is though, I have to agree with you totally, well, it is, it is about 20 minutes too long. Yep. Yeah, because that might color your score differently. That might bump it up half a point, right? Uh, easily, yeah, I think it'd probably be easily seven point five yeah. if it was shorter. Because I, I think it, it, it dies. There's moments in this movie, in this movie where it just dies. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go over my stuff because I got to take a break here in a minute. I got to go deal with something. Um, make or break. It's funny you went with the opening, which I could have went with, but you're right. There are great bookends because my make or break is the last twenty minutes. Yeah. There's a really great energy when it kind of it's almost like the defibrillators. It brings us back to life. It was really fun and and rompy and stuff. So that was really great. Uh, MVT. I'm gonna go with Low Lee. I really liked him in the film. He's a favorite of mine anyway. So it's nice to see him show up and you know good stuff. My score is a little bit lower than yours. It's a 6.5 out of 10. Again, I think it's a good film in the genre. I do quite enjoy the film because you know women in prison films from different um, areas will bring different cultural things to the films a little bit um, in, in, in cultural quirks, and this is no different. So. Yeah. Uh, there you go, 7 and a 6.5. Let's uh, take a short break. Ahoy, mateys. This is KAB, Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here, beaming a signal across the sea. I'll be here playing music all through the witching hour. I'm still waiting to hear from that weatherman. But in the meantime, stay here with me. Be sure to visit our sponsor, Paracinema Magazine. They're the source for all your genre movie needs. Check them out online at paracinema.net. Tell them Stevie sent you. Keep me turned on for a while, and I'll do my best to do the same for you. The Smooth Sound. Fabulous. 
but you ain't had mine. P.S. Mom and Dad, this is J.C. J.C., this is my mom and dad. Now show them them titties. Now show them them titties. And we are back to continue the Sleeves Fest. In fact, we're going to keep on chugging along with the Sleeves Train, the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. The Terror Express, which uh, Sammy picked this week, brought to us by our good friends at Camera Obscura. Mm-hmm. And this is a 1979 film uh, directed by Fernando Baldi, which is ironic because we were just talking about him making non-spaghetti Western films last week with Argento. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've always said, I've, I said it when we did Viva Django, that uh, Baldi was like, he's kind of like the the very much sadly overlooked Italian director uh, Yep. He's one of my top ten favorite Italian directors, and uh, he made a lot of really good films. And uh, he, a lot of times he doesn't get a lot of credit for what he did. No, I think one of the things I like about him is that he's a really good – I mean this in the best way possible. He's a really good workman director. Like yeah. he, he was able to adapt to the times and whatever genre was hot in Italy, he could make a proficient film in that genre. Yeah, yeah. You know, which a lot of people can't, right? So you know, definitely good. And it should be said, you mentioned in the opening – Written by the one and only, one of our patron saints, George Eastman, one of the sleaziest writers to ever pick up pen and paper in Italy. <laughs> I know it. It's amazing, man. I, mean, I, you know, I always joke around calling him the Silver Fox. There's a really nice interview with him on this disc. But, uh, well, a little bit. He's only in the maybe, maybe, but maybe eight minutes of interview time with him. He's got that nice gray hair, and he's got these kind of age spots on his face now because he's gotten older and stuff. But... Even he admits that the stuff he was writing wasn't Shakespeare. <laughs> no, no, it, it definitely wasn't. But you can tell, like, I, I would say I can't think of anyone sleazier as far as writing goes than him back then. I mean, he, if you use something extra sleazy, I'd be going to IMDb to see if Eastman or Luigi, I think Montefiore is his real name, if he wrote it, because most times he would have been the writer if it's really sleazy. Yeah, well, it's a good chance because, you know, he saddled up with uh, Joe D'Amato on a lot of stuff and... Oh, yeah. uh, you know, people forget sometimes that he's been, you know, he's he's been in a lot of, he's not in this one, which I'm kind of surprised by, but he's been in a lot of sleazy material in his career. Oh, gosh, yeah. But he's also, you know, what's interesting, too, is that he's worked with some of the greats. I think he worked with, um, oh, what's her name there, Lena Vertmuller. I know he played the um, the Minotaur in uh, Satyricon. Yeah, he worked with, so, Fellini. with Fellini. So, I mean, he's worked with some pretty prestigious Italian directors. But, what I was uh, saying was is that Eastman has such a physical presence and he was a he's an attractive guy and everything else, but it's really weird how his career ended up being. Yeah, a it's, really prolific writer, man. Yeah, it's like he ended up it's it's just like he saddled up with the wrong dudes. Mm-hmm. You know, like if he would have saddled up with Martino more or I mean he worked with Martino, but if he would have saddled up with Argento or Martino or Leone or somebody, which I'm so amazed that Leone never used him and and uh, if he was saddled up with those guys, he would have had a much different career. Instead, he he kind of got stuck with the uh, the Joe D'Amato's and the uh, and those guys. Yeah, yeah, he did. That's for sure. Um, this one has a really um, if you're a fan of Italian genre films, this one has a, a pretty good kind of like uh, B cast. Oh yeah. Um, it has Silvia Dionisio who is. Especially after seeing this film, I'd always, I'd seen her in a number of films. Everyone's seen her in a number of films. Um, I never knew this though. She was Ruggiero Diodato's wife. 
You know, I didn't know that either. I she, found that out just recently. Yeah, me too. So she worked in a lot of his films, uh, yep. which would, I guess, explain the willingness to take her kid off. But but uh, <laughs> she is just stunning. Uh, Werner Pokath, the uh, Austrian actor who always played a rat bastard bad guy in Italian films. Yep. Uh, he plays our sort of our lead bad guy. Zora Karova, the Czech actress who worked a lot in Italy. Um, I think, wasn't she in Deep Red? Was Zora Karova the psychic? I'm trying to remember. I think she was, wasn't she? I think that was her. I think it might have been her. Um, I know I know. on the interview on this desk, she is not proud of this movie. Well, I, I can't say it. But then, you know, what's ironic? Oh, I know where I know her from. What's ironic is she also did Cannibal Ferox and New York Ripper, so it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. pick your poison, yeah. sister. <laughs> yeah, no, she's got, she's got three films in her filmography that are just, you know, if you... As far as taste go, they're and, pretty tasteless. <laughs> and, and never mind, she also did Anthropophagus. Yeah. You know, so it, it's just, you know, I don't know. I know where she was. She was the chick in New York Ripper who I think the Puerto Rican guy um, gets her off using his foot underneath the table in the in the pub or the, the, the bar. I think that's who she is. So she did a lot of kind of sleazier stuff. Um, you got uh, Carlo DeMeo, City of Living Dead. You know, he did a lot of – a Spanish actor who did a lot of Fulci and stuff. Um, and then some other kind of familiar faces that you probably seen in the background. So it's got a pretty good little B cast, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no real, no real heavy hitters. No. As far as as far as like uh, Italian genre actors or European genre actors, but just it, it just uh, I know this film was put together on the cheap. I mean, they had what I, what I understand they had a couple of railway cars in the studio, and uh, they asked Eastman to write a script. And somebody else was attached to direct it originally, and I can't remember who it was, but it was one of the uh, the lesser. Uh, it might have been. Uh, well, no, I can't, I'm not going to say a name, but it, I know it was one of the lesser genre directors. But somehow Baldy got involved because uh, Eastman got involved. And that's how what's her name, the Czech actress, got involved too because she was. Roma. Yeah, she was actually really good friends with Eastman. So it's like everybody was in this movie but Eastman, which is kind of sad because I wish he would have been in the film. But he's all over the film anyway. Yeah, he is, but I, I thought the same thing because I would have loved to have eliminated kind of the uh, the buzz cut, box cut bad guy, make, yeah. East, make Eastman the alpha dog in the bad guys and Werner Polkath his second in command and Carlo Mayo the third banana. Yeah. And then, would have, then it would have been a really great group of bad guys. Yeah, and the thing is, I think maybe the reason, only reason why Eastman didn't do the movie is I don't know if he could have stood up straight in the, in the railway cars. So. That's, that's a very good point. He probably couldn't, man. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that factored in. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. we're talking about a guy that's, uh, I think, I think he's six foot nine. Yeah, he's a big boy. That's that's a very tall gentleman. So, I don't know if he'd look too comfortable in that. I mean, I, I, it's regrettable, but again, like I say, him and Baldy are all over this film, and I know he was good friends with Baldy and stuff, and, and they're all over this film. They did Viva Django together, as mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah, um, I have to say, I'd never seen this film. You'd never seen this film. It was one that when I first put it in the DVD, I thought, oh my god, that what an awful print camera obscura has put out. Oh yeah, yeah. Because it opens up with some really beat up footage that they must have restored to get the complete version of the film. Thankfully, it only lasts about a minute or two, and then it gets to be a nice, clean DVD print. Hi, right, Willie. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm on. No problem. No Got problem. As you were saying about the print, did you see at the beginning? It says that. I think there's like two scenes in the film they they got from its original source, so they apologize in advance. Oh, I never must have overlooked that. I don't know what happened, but. Yeah, when I pressed play, I noticed the first thing that came up was. Uh, two moments of this film are in really rough shape. Uh, we tried to restore it from the original cut, so 
Uh, but I agree with you. It really, it's kind of, I, they almost could have taken that first bit out because it looks really bad. I mean, it looks as bad as any VH rip I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a really beat up, like sort of D, you know, if we're going to rank it like a letter print D would probably be, it'd be more like something CDB. If they hadn't been able to source it, a good print would kind of have in their catalog. We No, I don't think we did. Essentially, it's. Um, well, we kind of did in the beginning of the show, really. Yeah, we did. It's basically, you know, your Night Train Murders, all the lotto. It's it's right after all those films, throw the last house on the left, I spend your give. Kind of the rape revenge. Basically, it says three thugs commandeer a couple of cars on a moving train and spread terror amongst the passengers. Yeah. So that kind of sums it up. <laughs> um, it's a very sleazy film. I love right away the opening. One of the, the men says to, I think, his one of his assistants, I can't remember now, Go buy me some magazines. You know what kind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of great little nuggets of dialogue in this film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, because it is just sleazy. I have to say that the train conductor in this is the most prematurely gray-haired man I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, he, he it, it looks like a bad wig. I don't know if it was a wig or not, but it looked really bad. Yeah, like the guy looked way too young. Look, he looked like he was mid twenties, late twenties, and dude had like um like gray curly hair. Really weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was kind of distracted by that. Um, JMB naturally, even on a moving train. Oh yeah. Um, the kind of sneering, skinny, obnoxious fucks like only Italian genre cinema can do. Yeah. Right away. Yeah, I know that these guys are classless to a degree. That's kind of unbelievable. We even get the. Uh, the irritable laugh. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that exactly, man. That is such a staple too of the genre. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, I mean, we know he's crazy, right? Not only does he have a lot of curly hair, but he also has a very intense laugh. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the one actor who plays Pierre in the print we have. It's like to add to the complications, there's a balding Kyle McLaughlin-esque convict on the train. So I was kind of curious what role he was going to play. You know, it added a bit of a wrinkle to the story that you don't normally see. Uh Uh That was a nice little wrinkle. Um, One of the great conventions with, and for dramatic purposes and otherwise, of setting your film on a train is that there's that forward momentum that, you know, the train isn't going to stop. Whatever is happening on that train, you're going to have to deal with because otherwise it's not going to solve itself. Merrily isn't going to hop on from his fiat. Nero is not going to get on and save the day. The train is moving. You must head on face the the force that's that's put our protagonists in peril in a train film. Yeah, the, the only thing that really shows the limit of the budget on this movie and how cheap it was is the fact that this is one of the few train films I've ever seen where people do not get on top of the train. Yeah, that's usually the convention. I never thought of that until right now. Otherwise, I think they do a good job of masking the low budget, though. No, they do a really good job. They do a very good job. They only had, from what I understand, they only had two cars. Oh, wow. And they just they would just redress them as needed. Wow, really great job. The Italians worked quick, and, and they did a good job with this one, too. Um, yep. I read the liner notes uh, for this film because there's always an essay that comes with these films. And I've never heard this line, but I think it's a wonderfully succinct description of a lot of the kind of bad guys in these kind of films. Um, and the guy who wrote it, he called them evil jack-in-the-boxes. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that perfect? That, yeah, it is. It really is because that's what they are in a lot of ways. And, mm-hmm. and this one almost to a, to a, to a fault because not only is 
one of the characters, the you know, Carlo, uh, was it Carlo Demero? Is that his name? With the uh, with the Afro, yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 is literally almost like a Jack in the Box because he's both goofy and he got the goofy laugh, and yet he's very sinister as well, very dangerous. Character. Yeah, he is. He is. Um, it's been well publicized that I'm not really uh, a gentleman who prefers blondes. I'm much more in the brunette camp. But I have to say that this film, I think, is uniformly blondes, and the blondes in this film are just fantastic, to the point where I'd seen uh, Silvia Dionisio in a few Italian films, like I said, Diodato's work and a few other kind of sleeves that she's done, but I don't know that I've ever seen her as the lead female in a film. Like, this is the kind of woman, I don't mean this to sound piggish, but, but she was cast perfectly for this film because she plays a prostitute, it's not spoiling anything, um, but I think she's the kind, of, the kind of woman that just to look at her she is is sort of sex and sex appeal personified. Yeah, yeah, I go as far as to say uh, her and Bo and the uh, the uh, Czech actress. What was her name again? Karova. Uh, yeah, Karova. She, Karova. both of them are just pure sex. Oh yeah. In a lot of ways, and I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as like how I find Angelina Jolie appealing. Like I find her appealing because she's very. There's something about her that's very sexy. I don't always think she's the most attractive girl in the world. As a matter of fact, I don't think she's the most attractive girl in the world. But she has a sexuality to her mm-hmm. that is inescapable. Kind of like, uh, oh, your girl you like a lot. What's her name? She's on Modern Family. Uh, oh, uh, Sofia Vergara. Yeah, yeah. She just oozes sexuality. Oh. Yeah. You know, and that, there's something about that appeal. And even though she's actually she's a blonde in real life, it should be noted. I, I don't know if anybody ever knew that, but she actually dyes her hair dark. It's very crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. But, but. These blondes, I have to agree with you in this film. This film is a great example of why I like nudity in my exploitation movies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, without I, sounding like a pig, that's what that's what this film is. I, I was rooting for uh, Sylvia to get naked. I was rooting to see everything I could. And again, that sounds because so what? I mean, listen, these are these films. You know, the, the nudity is there for a reason. So, yeah. you yeah. know, such is life. Um, I love that when she does get propositioned by one of the old men on the train. She says, he says, let's watch the pictures together. It's like, dude, you've just paid her how many lira, and you want to look at pictures of her with other men? No. <laughs> Wrong yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had to laugh, too. They threw in the wrinkle, and they didn't do a whole lot with it other than kind of have like a kind of brutal scene, but um, fucking Raquel Achmanic from Elf with her puffers on the train. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that was great. And the return of the switchblade. Ah, yes, yes, the great switchblade. Yeah. <laughs> if you are a hyena henchman in a film, you will have a switchblade. Yeah, it's like it. It's like uh, you're like a GI Joe figure. You come with the switchblade. You I was just, switchblade. I was just thinking that. That's the yeah, it comes in the box. Um, <laughs> and you know what's great with um, with kind of Italian sleaze and this pan-European sleaze is is. The nudity and the pacing of those films—they never had any um, any notions of of exposition or anything. They just keep exploitation films sleazy and don't worry about the psychology or anything else. Now, I still think there is some some social commentary being said about the upper middle class and some of the hypocrisy and stuff. But I think more than anything, this is a film that's made to titillate. It's an expo- a sleazy exploitation film that was meant to be as such. Yeah, it's it's totally it, it's you know it's the Italian version of a drive-in film. It's 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 there. For that reason, and uh, I agree with you, there is a little bit of commentary, as in all Italian films. There's always a little bit of social commentary, but mm-hmm. it's very, it's very narrow in this one. This one is very much about the titillation and the exploitation. I mean, this is easily, 
and arguably, we've watched some pretty trashy stuff on here, but this is easily, and it's not even that hardcore, but it's easily one of the sleaziest pieces of cinema I've ever watched. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is fantastically sleazy. I mean, it, it really just, it, and, and the thing about it is, it, it just feels like it's so proud of itself for being that way. It's unrepentant in its sleaze, which is yeah. like most of Eastman's work. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, well, wait till we cover some of Bridget Lahey's stuff, the French sort of oh, porn yeah. star turned actress. I got a few like executioner or lexicutrice and a few others I want to drop on the show. So yeah, yeah. some really good sleaze. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of sleaze, uh, this isn't a shoehorn segue as I'm known to do. This is a, an actual factual one. It, it's not an Eastman pen script unless a man is sniffing panties. Yes, yes, exactly. And this one, this one, it should and it should be said. This one goes that one step, maybe too far for some. Yeah, uh, it doesn't really show. <laughs> it, it doesn't really show anything. But okay, so there's a scene in this film where there's a mother and a father, and they have a young daughter who's a very hot blonde, by the way, another blonde, and she is gorgeous. Eighteen, and she's eighteen in the film. Yeah, 18 in the film. She can't be much past that in reality. Be 20, yeah. Gorgeous girl, very busty, nice body. And the reason why we know this is because, you know, at one point her dad comes out and says, you know, and she's complaining about it being hot in the car, and he tells her, well, maybe you should take your nightgown off. And it's like right there, it's in, in our modern society, right there, it's already like, oh, whoa, what are you doing here, buddy? But then you see him getting a little hot under the car because he's looking at his daughter naked. Now, I'm thinking, okay, you know, the Europeans, you know, they're a little bit more open than us. I mean, Dario Argento shoots shower scenes with his daughter. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. They're a little more open than us. But then they take it that, that George Eastman step further. Yep. Of him going to see the prostitute. And this is not a spoiler, so we can talk about this. Because it's very sleazy. It's it's disgusting. He takes her nightgown with him. His daughter's and nightgown. He, yeah, his daughter's nightgown. And he wants the prostitute to wear it. So essentially, he's he's role playing and he's sniffing the nightgown and oh, it's just so it's just so appalling. <laughs> that that's what I like to call an Eastman home run. Yeah. It's just the sleaze is turned up. You know, forget eleven. The sleaze is turned up to twelve because there's that great moment when man, he's got some splaining to do because the wife finds out and she gets because the prostitute comes back with the uh, the nightgown in her hand and she goes, but this belongs to Elena. <laughs> oh, I would not have wanted to be in him. Oh yeah, well she calls him a pig. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's the that's the least of her worries. I mean that it's a disgusting moment. And what's so great about it, and what I think Baldy and uh, Eastman do pretty good, but actually pretty genius in a way. It's not it's not like you know Fellini level of genius, but what it is, it's pretty smart the way they handle the the setup of that scene and how disgusting it is without being completely uh, uh, gratuitous. It should yes. be said. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, all these night train shots we keep kind of getting, which is to build kind of value, right, to, to distract us from the fact that, um, you know, there's only, only two train cars. They get a lot of um, kind of shots of, of trains going by in the night. And I couldn't help but think of my favorite 1979 films opening, The Warriors. Yeah, yeah. Which, which yeah. is ironic because later on the music almost takes this like Barry DeVorzen-esque synthy kind of feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really like the train setups. I'm, they're, they're kind of murky in this film a little bit, but uh, I like it. I also like that. Uh, I think the Italians have one sound for train whistles, and they use it in every film they have. They do, just much like in the shot in the last <laughs> film, the Shaw brothers have one sound for gunshots, which they use for every gun. <laughs> yeah. So very good. I, I didn't mention that note just because it was extraneous, but it's timely now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it really is 
I mean, it literally sounds like the same train that comes in on Once Upon a Time in the West, that comes in on, you know, Good, Bad, the Ugly, that comes in on all these other films. <laughs> yes, and speaking of trains coming in, we get to see a girl. <laughs> we, we we get to see a girl get her salad tossed by Carlo DeMeo in this film. You know, the, that that's the one of the amazing things about this film. This film borders on pretty much pornography. Yeah, it, it it's very close to pornography. There is literally a moment where a tongue is in an ass crack. So, oh yeah. It, if that gives you an idea of what kind of movie this is and how sleazy it is, the, it's a rape scene. It it, it, it starts out kind of innocently enough. As far as rape scenes go. <laughs> yeah, as far as rape scenes go. But it really kind of just kind of degrades. It just kind of degrades down into something that's really, really, really very rough. And I know that's one of the problems that that actress has so much with this film is that uh, she said that Baldy didn't really know how to talk to actors about that scene, so he just kind of let it keep going on and on. And it really is. The nudity scenes in this film are long. Well, they are. And and what's even more awkward about that film is that it's a sandwich, so Carlo DeMeo is naked against her backside, and the other buzz-cut Italian guy is naked on her front. And it's like, I got to think, man, like if I was a guy, not if I was a guy, I am a guy, if I had to film that scene, that would be one of the most awkward scenes to film. Yeah, yeah, but they go they go all out. It's almost like the the sense I get is it's like you know Baldy was like, okay, here's what I want done. You guys just do whatever you got to do to get to this point. And it, it I, I think the actress was uncomfortable because I think you know well I think she got a tongue in her ass. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, I don't think she expected it. <laughs> call, call Carlo DeMeo the the Miles Davis of rape scenes, and that he is able to improvise and freewheel like no other. <laughs> and it's really you know it's really funny life is a matter of perspective right and like on the disc there's an interview with carlo de Mayo and there's an interview with uh the actress she hates the movie and de Mayo's like oh yeah she was a wonderful girl she was wonderful i'm like i'd probably be saying the same thing if i got to stick my tongue in her ass yeah yeah you and me both man you and me both oh man <laughs> And another thing too about this film, which is just a strange quirk, is that all the Italians in this film have a strange penchant for Italian silk bathrobes. <laughs> <laughs> like, where did that come from? Like, three or four of them rock very clearly Asian silk bathrobes. Well, that's not the only Asian influence. Also, there is an, an abnormal amount of chops to the neck in this film. <laughs> yes. Well, my next note was switchblades and karate chops. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, there's so many karate chops to the neck in this movie. <laughs> well, it, there's that one scene where it's almost like the karate chop buffet, like the alarm went off, and everyone had two minutes to get as many chops in as they could. <laughs> and people are just going down left and right from these oh, chops, man. man. They're just dropping it. It's just, yeah, I mean, everyone's going down. Um, and I, I got to say, Italian hooligans <laughs> fucking love Yahtzee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, classic, man, classic. <laughs> they got on the train after they've raped and pillaged. It's just great. Um, yeah, this guy's one of two is play Yahtzee. <laughs> yeah. Um, what does this say? Odd rape slap. Oh, there was a weird kind of um, rape, non-rape angle where Werner Polkath's character, he's like a scumbag, but he doesn't want to rape Sylvia Dionisio for some reason. I don't know. It's just there's some weird stuff going on. There's like a really weird love triangle and or just it's, kind of it's, some weird it's the whole Madonna whore complex thing. I think they're trying to go for there that like he wants to fuck her, but he also wants to like savor her as well or savor, you yeah. know, and you kind of get that. I have to say, he reminds me of like a, like a more attractive version of horse, horse Frank. 
A little bit, yeah, he does. They're, they're both, I think, countrymen. Well, I know Frank is probably German, and he's Austrian, so they're pretty much right there. So, Yeah, yeah, um, yeah Carlos, um, Carlo Mea eats a lot of punani in this film. It's got to be said, a lot of punani. He's tossing salads. He's eating punani. No wonder he had such a fun time on the shoot, man. I want to work <laughs> with George Eastman in the 70s, too. That's what I'm saying. If you watch the extras on this film, watch them somewhere. You'll see him talk about it. He he had a great time making this movie. Oh yeah. I, who needs key parties when you got Eastman around to write a script? Yeah, he gets to lick uh, one actress's ass. He gets to essentially have oral sex with the daughter, the 18 year old daughter. <laughs> yeah, it's just great, he's, man. He's in the dream, man. And he gets the switchblade. Yeah, <laughs> and he gets the switchblade. Um, I gotta say, I got. I'm forcing it to bring it to a screeching halt. What? I found unsettling an unsettling aspect to the film is that Werner Pokath actually died from AIDS. Yeah. So yeah. that was one kind of unsettling aspect to the rape scenes that in hindsight, knowing what I know, I mean, he obviously didn't have it then, but, but right. even still, it's just like, Ooh, I mean, um, you don't know. I mean, 79. I mean, things were starting to show up. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you, I don't know what his proclivities were. I don't know if he was, uh, if it was a sexual transmitted thing or if possibly it was drug related. I don't know or enough about transfusion or, yeah, I mean, people were starting, but it was, it's 79, I mean, it's starting to show up, you know, I mean, at, at this point, it's starting to appear. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, I, kind of, it's kind of a dark side to, you know, all the fun we're having talking about this and this film being sleazy, it is a little bit of a, it kind of does paint a little bit of a dark kind of cast on the film a little bit. Yeah, oh no, it definitely does, it definitely does. Um, I gotta say, the group of men in this film are the most ineffectual group of men I've ever seen in a film like they, they outnumber these guys they have a gun amongst them they have weapons amongst them and they just do nothing uh, to take a this is an easy joke man but these guys are literally pasta they're limp yeah. noodles man yeah they are man they've been this overcooked is the this is the saddest bunch of dudes I've ever seen yep uh, to, you know because these these hooligans uh, as dangerous as they are there's only three of them yeah and there's like seven or eight guys I know. It's like, what the hell, dude? You know, man up a little bit, you know? Yeah, they outnumber them like 2.3 to 1 or something. It's just, they got to step up, man. Um, and my last note is, to bring it back to the Warriors, someone gets, there's a character, Fox, in the film. Someone gets the Fox treatment from an oncoming train. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, there you go. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add. I mean, we had a great conversation there and a lot of funny moments. This is going to definitely be one of my favorite reviews. I love it when we, I love it when we go into a film not knowing a lot, and it kind of surprises us in the excesses of whatever it is, be it action or gore or, you know, some of the GGTMC things we talk about, like Zubaz pants or crazy haircuts, metal plate hats. This one, this one is easily probably the sleaziest film we've ever covered on the show maybe i don't know we've covered some pretty sleazy we've covered stuff of NHCA, we've covered some sleaze but this is this is yeah. in the conversation no doubt yeah this is definitely in the conversation this film after it was over i had a great time watching it should be said but it's not a very i gotta i gotta say you know just to warn people a little bit it's not a real it's not a very happy movie it's it's pretty dark in a lot of ways and mm -hmm. and we had a lot of fun with it but uh you know you got to kind of be in the mood for this i think our our listeners who really love these kind of films if they haven't seen it i think they'll like it a lot Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I do think it's it's a it's really good at eighty to I think like eighty to eighty two minutes long. Minutes, yeah, yeah, you kind of know what you're getting into as far as the sleaze goes with Eastman doing the writing, and of course, if you guys that listen to our show know anything about George Eastman, outside of just some of the great little acting roles he's done, uh, he does have quite a history in the softcore slash hardcore world of film. I don't know if he ever actually he's in hardcore films, but did he actually do? penetration shots or was he just mm, in them i don't know 
I know he's in Erotic Nights of the Living Dead and yep. some of those Joe D'Amato ones, or but I don't Holocaust. know. If he, yeah, I don't know if he actually did any actual porn scenes. I think he's just in the films. Well, I know he wrote the films. So I can tell you that. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, he he just has a natural knack, and he even says so in the interview on the disc that you know these are the kinds of films he writes, and you know, he's not he's not really too you know upset about. It. He knows what he was writing. He knows what he was doing, and you know, he has written some good films too, though. It should be said, he's written Kioma. Yeah, and uh, some other really good films in his past. So, so I mean, it's not like he just wrote trash all the time. He wrote some good stuff too. Oh, definitely. I really do. Wish, I really do wish he was in the film in some capacity. But oh, yeah. like I say, he's he stamped all over this movie in a lot of ways. And uh, the the disc itself is is really pretty good. I mean, it's it's a uh, what is it a Region Two uh, DVD or is it PAL format? Yeah, it's, like yep, it's PAL. And uh, it, it is pretty good. Got that nice. Like I say, bonus feature right on it and stuff with uh, one actor loving what they had to do and one not loving it. But there are a lot of sex scenes, and they are they're as close to graphic as you can get without being pornography. I, that's probably the best way to describe them. Yes, that's, I that's would agree. Completely. Um, yeah, man, I don't really have... <laughs> I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I mean, I think we talked about as much as we can talk about this film. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's a great time talking about it. I'm glad we watched it. We've held off on this one for a long time. I kind of thought it might be one of the, you know, the, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I thought it was going to be one of the lesser releases from Camera Obscura, but it's turned out to be one of my favorites of theirs. I agree. It's a I, great, it's a great disc. I totally agree. Um, okay, my make or break. This isn't specifically one scene, but I really like train set films. Um, in fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say in some ways I prefer, even though it's a ripoff, I prefer Night Train Murders to I Spit on Your Grave because – or um, Last House on the Left because it's it's serious as cancer all the way through. Like it's not – it doesn't have some of the goofy moments like the bumbling cove moments like um, Last House on the Left has. And it's got like mm-hmm. – what is the most unceremoniously brutal dumping of a naked woman's body I've ever seen in a film. Like this, this one of the girls that gets raped in Night Train Murders gets dumped from the train onto some jagged rocks. It's yeah, just yeah. awful. It's just awful. But um, my make or break is just the, the, the scene as it were is just to set it on the train. Like I just, I really liked it. It takes place on a train. It's very cinematic. Certainly the train yes. is, and we yep. don't see it as yep. much anymore. So nice to have the train. Uh, we have a, we have a- and we haven't done a train. This is the first train film nope. we've done since Break, Breakheart Pass. Oh yeah, that, that's what I was gonna say. Breakheart Pass was, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm in agreement with you. It should be said. Uh, I love trains in cinema. I love trains so much in cinema that every time I watch a film with trains, I want to go on a train ride. That's mm-hmm. how geeky I am about trains in cinema. Yes, when William is 18 or maybe 16, I'll give him this because see if his love of Thomas the train transfers to. <laughs> yeah, maybe he won't be 16. Maybe 18. This is pretty sleazy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, my MVT is the, is the speaking of sleaze. My MVT is the girls in the film. Yes. Specifically, if I had to single one out, it would be Sylvia Dionisio. She's she's now pole vaulted, pun intended, into my you know, upper echelon of of uh, Italian sort of Euro cult babes. I just, oh, she's so great, man. She's so great. Um, score for the film. The film's not great. It it has its flaws, but it's unrepentantly sleazy. It knows what it is, so I can't penalize it too much for that. I'm gonna give this one a seven point two five, man. I really, really dig this film. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's that's good, man. I was wondering what you'd think of it. Uh, my make or break is uh, I like all the sleazy sex scenes. I'll be honest with you. They're great. This film, this film tells you what it is, mm-hmm. and, and then not only that, but it's it's the best kind of exploitation because it pays off. Yes. It, it, the best kind of exploitation is when they sell it to you on the box, and then you watch the film, and you're like, holy fuck, they just sold that to me, and not only did they sell it, they paid it off. 
Yep. There's no there's no doubt in my mind this has some of the sleaziest sex scenes and some of this the nastiest stuff, uh, sexual wise that I've seen in any film. It's it's pretty it's pretty despicable little movie. Yeah. Uh, but fine. My MVT. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I could go with the train because I really like the train a lot. I'm gonna go with Eastman on this one. That's I fair. Yeah, I really, I really feel like, like you said in the beginning, and I think you made a great statement. I mean, he's really all over this movie. If you're familiar with Eastman like we are, uh, he's really just all over this thing. It really feels like his movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like I, you know, he should have just went ahead and directed it. It's got so much of him coming out of it. Because if you look through Baldy's film career, he has really nothing in his. Hey. All right, I'm back. That's okay. What was the last thing you heard? What he was has, the last thing you he, heard? He has nothing in his. Yeah, oh yeah. Baldy has nothing in his filmography that really is similar to this. So it's yeah. really a one off, very strange thing for him, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm very happy about because it actually turns out to be a really good film. Because uh, I kind of expected it not to be. I know Baldy's westerns and I know his action movies and some of his other stuff, but I didn't know how he could handle this stuff. But he handles it well. So I give my MVT to Eastman, uh, my make or break to sleazy sex scenes. My score for the film 7 out of 10. This film was a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really kind of great. Like I say, it's great when something is sold to us like this and it turns out to be uh, actually quite a, you know, quite. Uh, it turns out to be what it is. Yes, absolutely. You nailed it when you said a lot of times the box promises one thing and doesn't deliver, but the box promises and it absolutely delivers on spades. Yep, exactly. So that's our thoughts on uh, Terror Express. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I guess we can just jump right into pleasantries then. Yeah, pleasantries, yeah. Um, check out our sister shows, Sylvan Gold, Show Show, OTC. To go to Hamicus, uh, Brian has a great Sundamicus episode up from a few weeks ago where he covers his top five films from Sundance with two of his uh, colleagues. Um, they go through them one through five, five through one, uh, except one guy starts out with his one instead of five and kind of throws it off. But it's still a very good episode, certainly. Um, <laughs> check out Entrails from the Skeleton Closet. They're actually going to be programming an episode. Or I programmed an episode for them. They're going to be covering Z and the Alex Karras starring... Absolutely bonkers Canadian kids film Jacob Tutu meets the Hooded Fang. Oh, nice! So, should be very interesting. Um, check out podcast on honor and humanity. I think Sammy and my episode is going to drop pretty soon. Yep. Um, check it out all the time. Actually, Jake has a great year-end episode too. I listened to recently. Cinema uh, yep. Awesome, Action Attraction, Married with Clickers, Paleo Cinema, Girls on Film, Glee Cast, Family Movie Night, Thirty Five Millimeter Heroes. Dig it, bitches. Uh, Chin Circle vs. Punter and OTLP. The Big Check Red. Out, uh, brr, 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 uh, Better in the Dark. V Cinema, Criterion Cast, Projection Booth, and Mondo Film Podcast. As always, check out our favorite couple in the NYC, soon to be in the TX. They're actually moving yes. to Austin, Texas. So um, I'm sad they won't be as close to me, but uh, hopefully we can maybe do a GGTMC road trip to Austin and see Chris and, and Doc and Brian Kelly and everyone else. Uh, it's in yeah. the great the great state of Texas one day and do a draft house thing there. So Oh yeah. yeah. It'd be very cool. Um, check out nightmaretheater.blip.tv, we are young Uh next week we're gonna draw the posters. Yep. So there's that for your end. Um, yeah, you're drawing posters on your end, right? The ones I have, I think I'm actually putting up on the uh, Kickstarter. So. Yep, exactly. I'm gonna yeah. give away five posters next week in the year end show. Um, check out these are all blogspot.com, the GGTMC. Rupert Pupkin speaks. I still have to do my blog post for him. I feel like a shithead. I haven't got it up yet. Um, but he's got a lot of great people posting over their first, their favorite films 
they saw for the first time in 2011. He's got a lot of uh, great possible underrated love stories because it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, check that out. Deadly Doll's House. Uh, Chuck Norris ate my baby. Um, Fist of B-List. There's the hairless bear by the sounds of it. Deep Six. I'll make this very quick. I don't want to have the hairless bear upset. Uh, Cinema Gonzo. Playground of Doom, Scared Stiffless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask, DeathRattle.net, and TheLightningBugsLayer.com. As always, check out our sponsors, DiabolicDVD.com, Cinema-DE-Bazaar, AllYourHardToFind.com. Promo code GENTLEMAN for 10% off your orders, OMG-Entertainment.com, which we're going to be getting to an episode, I think, maybe once we get through this list in our feedback show, perhaps. Um, GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders, BoulevardMovies.com. And, of course, Camera Obscura, which you heard from uh, through this episode's Terror Express. Check us out on Facebook. Join us all on Twitter. We have iTunes. We have a donate button on our page. And next week, it should be said, we're doing our, finally, it is upon us, our year-end top 10. And, in fact, our year-end top 30. We'll be counting down 10 to 1 and then 11 to 30, as we always do. And I cannot wait to hear your list. Yes. Be nice. It'll be good. And uh, I guess with that, there's only one more thing to say. Yeah, that's uh, adios. Adios. It's a gentleman's evening, baby. That's why we're sticking around. All kind of ears mixing the drink. I'm not going to bring it down to the town. Well, we've got the best here. The finest part of the rock elite. You gotta pick your shoes off, yeah. And make a toast to the sweetest beat. And the music's getting faster. Don't get up tight. Everything's gonna be groovy. Groovy as ash.